Dankeschön. Hi everyone, welcome to the Yonsei podcast. Um, my name is Yoko from Nikkei Rising, and today we will be discussing the importance of sports in our community, um, both in the past and the present. Um, but before we get started, we have some very exciting news. Um, we actually have a new member of the podcast team, Sachi Koide, and this is her very first episode. Um, so we're so excited to have you. And can you, real quick, just introduce yourself for the listeners? Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to join Yonsei as one of your hosts. I went to Cornell for bioengineering and currently work for a medical device design startup in San Diego. And my interests are all over the place, from rock climbing and sports, to history, sustainability, animals, why are we here, what is our purpose, all over the place. And I am particularly excited to get started with this awesome episode. Yay! We're so happy to have you. So yeah, like I said, today's theme is sports, and we want to delve into the ways that sports have functioned um, not only as like a morale booster, but also a community builder and just a way to have fun in our community. So our first guest today is Ryan Lee. Ryan was born and raised in South Pasadena and is the director of Terasaki Budokan in LA's Little Tokyo. Uh, so thank you so much for being here, Ryan. Thanks for having me, Yoko and Sachi. Hi, Ryan. Our next guest is Melanie Shojinaga. Melanie is a former Nikkei Rising member and a Yonsei and Korean American. She serves the NorCal JA community through her work with the San Jose JACL, Nihon Machi Outreach Committee, and Nikkei Resistors. She is currently working towards her Master's of Science in Physician Assistant Studies at Stanford University. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Before we get started with like our actual discussion, um, I thought it would be good for all of us to give a little bit of background um, about our relationship with sports and how it's um, played into our family, our community, our identity, all that kind of stuff. Um, so if everyone could just say a little bit about like what your, what sports you play or played and how that journey started. I can go first. I My main sport is basketball. I played basketball since I was a little kid on Seattle's um, Asian American rec sports team called Seattle Asian Sports Club. It's S-A-S-C and it's pronounced sassy. <laughs> um, and I played on a team of <laughs> pretty much all Asian American girls who um, it's like within the Seattle Parks and Rec. So we were playing against all sorts of teams, um, but we were known as like, oh, the Asian team. Um, so that was like where I got my start and I played on my middle school's team and then went on to play all through high school. Um, and it was just like a super important like part of my life that I dedicated so much time to from the ages of like eight to 18, I guess. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my background. Uh, Sachi, do you want to share a little bit? I grew up doing all sorts of sports, starting from a toddler doing like ballet and gymnastics and ice skating and uh, I grew up doing a lot of martial arts as well that's something that my parents did while I was growing up so I have done wushu and taekwondo I got my black belt in taekwondo um, and then in high school I joined the track team and did hurdles and pole vault and more recently I've gotten a lot more into climbing and hiking which are activities that really 
take me outdoors and get to see the world through them. So I really enjoyed that. But basically anything that doesn't involve a ball, I've done. And the stuff I've done has also been very individualistic. So I'm interested in your guys' experience um, on teams because I've never really had that type of team aspect to my sports. Melanie, do you want to share a little bit next? Yeah, um, I would say I'm like almost the opposite of you, Sachi. I think <laughs> all of my sports that I've done growing up um, have been team sports, and I really like the competitive aspect and like the camaraderie that goes with it. Um, I mostly played basketball, but I kind of dabbled in a bunch of other stuff too because my dad was like really into making sure that my sister and I knew how to like throw a football or like play baseball and not like catch a ball like against your face but like catch it in your mitt or like in your hand where you're supposed to be lit so he really pushed that and made sure that like we could be able to hold our own if we were ever put in like a sort of athletic situation but basketball has been like the only one that I've really stuck with and I continue to play at least before the pandemic I was in a bunch of um, adult leagues out here in the East Bay and that was my favorite way to connect with all of my old like friends from high school that were still in the Bay or friends from college or even like random new people that would I would just see like playing at, at the park or at uh, 24 hour fitness. We would definitely, my roommate and I, we would try and like recruit the tall people that we could find, especially tall girls, because we needed ones that could like hold their own in the post. And we were definitely not going to bring that to the table ourselves. So we were always like on the lookout to recruit. <laughs> Ryan, what about you? Oh, from a really young age, I was all sports all the time. We didn't have cable TV growing up, so I spent a lot of time outside. Basketball, soccer, baseball, golf, hockey, um, again, you name it, I was, I was playing it. I think what was really important for me as a kid was it gave me a sense of identity. Um, and then also uh, an identity as an athlete, but also a cultural identity um, as a Japanese American or an Asian American growing up here in Los Angeles, such a melting pot, and to latch on to a cultural identity from such a young age was something that's really important. Um, and I continued to develop that as I grew older. Um, my playing days came to an end. You know, I played intramurals in college, but um, I, I started getting into coaching and finding ways to continue to stay involved with, in particular, the game of basketball. So I coached high school basketball for eight years at my alma mater, and uh, I'm continuing to find ways to give back to that basketball community, not as a player, but as a coach, as a mentor, as a trainer, as a referee, a scorekeeper. I think it's a really important message to send to our youth nowadays is that just because you're not a player in the sport that you are passionate about doesn't mean that you can't make a career out of it. Um, and I think that's something that's really important that our next generation hears, and especially for um, Asian Americans playing basketball, <laughs> you know, height is a very, uh, it's very challenging <laughs> to play basketball if you don't have size, but that doesn't mean that you can't stay around the league. So I look at somebody like Natalie Nakase, who's uh, assistant coach for the Clippers, who's doing things that are way beyond her stature and her height. Um, and that she doesn't allow those things to define her. So I think that's really important is to continue to stay involved with the game in other ways other than just playing. I love this theme we have of Asian Americans playing basketball, especially as a 5'3 individual who definitely knows the struggles of height, even though I have never played basketball. But actually, my grandmother, Sumi Mitsudo, played on the women's basketball team at the Minidoka Incarceration Center during World War II. And while researching for this episode, I found a picture of her, like 13 or 14 years old, with her team and their white skirts. 
Um, so this is our segue into a little bit of Japanese American sports history and the historical, cultural, and even political significance of sports in the incarceration camps. For a little bit of context, on February 19, 1942, President FDR signed Executive Order 9066 that authorized the U.S. to designate certain areas of the U.S. as military zones, allowing for the incarceration of Japanese Americans as well as German and Italian Americans in U.S. concentration camps. But far more Americans of Asian descent were forcefully interned than those of European descent. And actually, last month, we put up a series of posts on Instagram for Day of Remembrance in honor of our grandparents and family members. So definitely check those out. From camp newspapers and personal accounts, we know that baseball and basketball were huge at the camps. The incarcerates built their own baseball diamonds and cleared away brush and fought dust in the dry camps in Arizona and Idaho, even removing tree stumps with dynamite. Something interesting I came across as well were accounts of interracial baseball games behind barbed wire between the incarcerates and the police forces in charge of their captivity, as well as even camps playing each other in sports games. According to the Den Show Encyclopedia, the 1944 baseball season reflected the loosening of restrictions on Nikkei inmates deemed loyal to the U.S., and a series of intercamp games took place in the summer and fall. Ironically, when prisoners donned baseball uniforms, the WRA provided these enemy aliens a bus to travel the long distances between centers to the intercamp games unguarded, almost as though the baseball uniform conveyed greater acceptance as part of American culture. So these were people completely vilified and dehumanized by the U.S. government and its people, yet somehow sports helped bridge that connection for them to to gain some of their humanity and community back even if it was something that they should never have had to earn in the first place everyone else what are some of your family stories with the camps in sports i think that's so cool that your grandma played on a women's team and that there even was a women's team in camp i hadn't heard of that before i've only heard of like men's baseball and basketball teams so i think that's amazing um I guess I don't have any personal like family accounts from sports and camp. Um, my dad's side is the one that like really pushed Asian League basketball and like my grandpa coached him and he coached me and my sister. Um, but they were based in Hawaii, so they never like had to go into camp and, and they avoided all of that um, trauma. But my mom's side, she was at Tule Lake. Um, and I think she grew up in NorCal and they never really, like, really were surrounded by an Asian community. And so they weren't able to sort of maintain like that Japanese tradition that is really strong in SoCal and like East Bay. Um, but I do know just from accounts of, of uh, former incarcerates, like how important sports were to maintain that camaraderie um, and keep your spirits up while uh, you were being oppressed and absolutely like the worst things were happening to you. It was a way to kind of keep everybody's spirits up. Um, and try and, I guess, not forget, but get past and work through the different traumas and um, difficulties that camp life presented to them. I think also, so I, my grandpa, um, like, his, his sports was so huge for him. I think it's very telling that, like, so the main story that he told me about just the whole experience of being incarcerated was about sports and it was that um he really really wanted to play on his local high school's basketball team and all of his brothers he played baseball and basketball but all of his brothers like the 
they went to that high school and the coaches knew him and he was being scouted and he was so excited. And just as he was finishing up um, his last year of middle school or junior high, <laughs> um, it like he had to go to camp and it was like the saddest part of the saddest part for him was that he didn't get to play sports. And he always framed it as like, like he was always so adamant that as a child, his experiences like, oh, I didn't have to deal with what the adults had to deal with, like losing everything, losing your business. Like all the main thing I was worried about was that I couldn't play basketball. But then when I look at that now, I'm like, when you're a kid, those that's huge. Like those are the things that like form you and like thinking of him being like this 14 year old who like the the main thing he's looking forward to is just stripped away because of his race and I don't know it's like he always made it seem like oh see like I was just so worried about like being able to play sports like it wasn't that bad then like I didn't have to lose my business or whatever but you know those those are the experiences that are like so formative but on the flip side when he was in camp he played basketball I only have three photos of him um, in camp. He was in Gila River. Um, and two of them are from basketball. So, like, it was, like, a huge, a huge thing. And I know it provided a lot of, um, you know, relief and sense of normalcy, like we were all saying. Um, and then I think he, like, carried that forward a lot, like, instilling – he was so into me and my sister playing basketball and, like – because that had been such a comfort to him at that time that he needed it the most. Like after that, every generation of my family, like basketball, it's like the thing to do, like you got to do it, you know? Um, so yeah. My, my grandpa, um, and I'm talking particularly about him. My grandma was also um, in the camps, but she didn't play sports. So I, I, I know this is a sports centric podcast, but he was a no-no boy and uh, he was really young at the time. He was just a no-no boy because his older brothers were no-nos. So <laughs> he was just like, well, I'm going to do what my older brothers are going to do. So he ultimately went to Tule Lake. And um, from what I know from him, it was very similar to your grandfather's experience, Yoko. He didn't really understand quite what was going on. Um, I think his brothers and his family did a good job of insulating him from some of the, the troubles. And I do know that, um, you know, post-World War II, when he got out, that sports played a huge part in his life of reassimilating into the culture, um, finding a new way to um, create meaning in, the, in this life post-internment. And so I think that, um, you know, that really, you know, blood, blood runs deep, right? And so that really... Um, for our family was a really important message growing up. He was um, one of the founders, uh, co-founders of the Pasadena Bruins organization, which my mom played for, his daughter, and subsequently I was a Bruin. And so this is a multi-generational thing. But I think because of his experience in camp and, and what um, sports and athletics meant to him post-World War II, uh, it was really important for him to continue to provide that opportunity for the next generation of youth to um, to participate in because of what it meant to him. So, um, you know, I'm really thankful for those JA pioneers who had the um, they had the know abouts or kind of just the foresight to provide these opportunities for the uh, Nisei, for the Sansei, Yonsei, even Gosei now. Um, to continue to explore their culture, 
um, develop those friendships, make those long life lasting relationships. I'm sure we all have those relationships as well. So just really thankful for that generation and the pioneers in the community for doing so. We owe so much to those who came before us for keeping the joy of sports alive in our communities. As we move into the topic of what do sports and recreation mean to the Japanese American community today, Ryan, what exactly is Terasaki Budokan? So Terasaki Budokan is a project of Little Tokyo Service Center, and it is a multi-use recreation center located here in Little Tokyo, downtown Los Angeles. It's been a community dream for about 25 years, and it finally completed construction in August of 2020. And in the midst of a global pandemic, we are still excited to open our doors to the public. Patience is a virtue, I hear. So we're just waiting patiently until um, you know, we're allowed to open safely and responsibly. Um, but really, the story of Budokan goes back to um, you know, what we were talking about in World War II, post-World War II. Um, you know, when the Japanese American, I guess, diaspora kind of reassimilated here in, I, well, I'm, I'm focusing primarily on Southern California, but they weren't accepted, widely accepted in um, places and leagues. You know, it, it just was hard for them to come back. Even though um, the war was over, there were still a lot of anti-JA sentiments out there in the community. And so as a result of that, um, you know, the Japanese American sports leagues arose to not only provide opportunity for the youth, JA youth to participate, but to have a space where they can come together, a space for community where families could still mingle and celebrate their culture. Um, And so fast forward 80 years, it's still the glue that kind of brings all of us together. That's why we are having this podcast right here. And without any of us having met, we all have this it's almost like I'm catching up with old friends on this chat because we all have this connection to, uh, you know, JA athletics and JA sports. And so I really think that what Budokan is meant to do is it's meant to serve primarily, um, you know, the little Tokyo residents here and downtown residents, but also the JA athletic organizations, not only here in Southern California, um, but also Northern California and hopefully, hopefully nationwide, maybe even internationally, um, but to serve that population, to give them a hub, to have, have a home here in little Tokyo and, uh, you know, bring families here into uh, the community through sports, through arts, through culture. Um, you know, it's not just a place for sports and athletics, but we also have an event space and a beautiful terrace and a community room where we're hosting after school programs. So really multi-use um, uh, recreation center. And part of our goal too is to encourage um people to eat, shop, and play in Little Tokyo, to patronize businesses, to increase the visibility of our community here, uh, to get people to care about the issues that are surrounding Little Tokyo and to invest in our community. So I know I talked your ears off about Budokan, but uh, I could talk, you know, probably the whole 30 (laughs) minutes about it. But, um, you know, that's kind of in a nutshell, um, what we're aiming to do here at Budokan. So Ryan, where can people go to find more information and follow you guys Mm. on social media? (laughs) You can follow us uh, at, well, our website is terasakibudokan.org. Hopefully um, you have some spelling. Do you, want, do you want me to spell that out or? We'll put the, we'll put um, okay. the website the in the description. Okay, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> our, our Instagram, our Instagram is terasaki.budokan. I follow you guys on Instagram before I even knew like you were going to be the like co-guest with me. 
And I've just been so jealous that there even is something like this. Like there is a community center like this in SoCal. And I want that so badly in NorCal. And I was working with a couple of uh, like, like temples up here to try and get something started for like an adult league type of setting or community center. And COVID hit and like things kind of like fell apart. But I'm really hoping that we can kind of like steal some of your ideas. And that's why I follow the Instagram is because I was trying to like ideas of how you guys are like setting this example of what like JA community ball can be like and I want to bring it to NorCal so that there is a space for uh, kids who like grew up on Asian League basketball like us like so we can continue doing that and then like maybe even like be the coaches one day for our own kids teams so that's my dream right now and I'm hoping like maybe we can talk offline about it too for something to happen in NorCal yeah (laughs) absolutely That's this, very, is what it, very, this is what it's all about connections like we're I feel like I also wish we had something like that up in Seattle and like it's it's such a cool model of like um how to do that because it's yeah I love I mean, that it, it took a long time uh, <laughs> a long long time a lot of community organizing a lot of uh political muscle and pressure and applying pressure to the city to get the land and, um, you know, an organization like LTSC who has the um, just the longstanding credibility and um, history here in the community, um, somebody that the community trusted to develop the project. And, um, you know, they did a phenomenal job just really making it an organizational priority to get this recreation center so that they can provide for the residents and the visitors here in Little Tokyo. But what I will say is that, you know, it, it, as much as it's a dream, um, it takes somebody like you, Mel, or somebody like you, Yoko, or Sachi, who's willing to put that dream into action. Um, and I, I remember this quote that somebody said, you know, dreamers just dream, but visionaries are the people who take that dream and do something with it and make something of it. And so to hear that you're, interested but to hear that you've also started conversations to hear that you've also planted the seed and and are organizing organizations in your area that's really inspiring because that's how budokan started 25 years ago so just know that in 25 years you can have a recreation center (laughs) just like budokan hopefully it doesn't take you as long as it took us but, but i believe in you i would be remiss if i did not bring up that it is so cool that our like sports 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 episode has three girls on it um and i think that like that is so awesome and there are some very specific in my opinion very specific experiences that go along with being a girl athlete also being an asian american athlete um and being an asian american girl athlete i just feel like there's all these expectations that you're defying in some ways and that you have to deal with and it's just it's i've been in so many bizarre situations um i was wondering if melanie and sachi if you could share a little bit about like how you square those identities and how um that factors into like maybe how you've been treated like on the court how you see yourself how you how you view your like athletic pursuits anything like that I guess like the first thing that is popping to my mind right now is that I did a lot of interviews for grad school recently and they're usually like oh tell us a little bit about yourself like tell us something that like we should know about you like your hobbies and your interests and the one thing I was always turning towards was like my my basketball history 
and explaining like, yeah, like I played basketball since I was five on these Asian league teams. You know what Asian league teams are? There's like all these different things in there, like East Bay, SoCal mostly. And I would explain to them what that like identity even is. And it's funny because in college, I think when I would see a bunch of like any Asian girl, honestly, at the gym playing basketball, I'd be like, oh, hey, like I'm going to talk to her. And my opening question was like, did you play Asian League basketball? And then if they did, it was like so easy to like segue that into like a, hey, want to play on my intramural team or whatever. Um, but it's it's so funny because every time I would like talk about basketball, the interviewer during these grad school interviews would be like, wow, that's so like interesting. I wouldn't expect that from you. And I think I mean, it was through Zoom. They couldn't tell how tall I was or anything. But like one of the things that they're expecting you to be is just like, you know, you're you're too short. You're probably more passive as an Asian-American woman. You're probably not skills. You probably didn't have that like history growing up of experience of that, like, you know, exposure to competitive sports, maybe. Um, and one of the schools was actually like teach us something that is not medically related in your interview and I was like okay like stand up we're gonna learn how to dribble a basketball correctly and like we didn't have a ball or anything but I was like you gotta you know get your arm bar up to protect it you gotta keep your eyes up the court uh you want to dribble with the pads of your fingertips and all of my like old coaching skills came back at me really quickly and it was just really fun being able to like harness that that skill and like use it once again because I have it in such a long time but I definitely think there's a lot of judging that happens before you go on the court, uh, especially like when you're, you know, looking at the other side during warmups and you're seeing like who you're going to match up with. Um, but I typically have learned to use that to my advantage more. Um, and my favorite part is like playing defense, oh, and yes. boxing out in the post and pressuring up the court, playing full court press, because I know my strength is like my speed and my uh I guess aggressiveness or scrappiness um, because they never expect me to get so physical. And a lot of the time I can come down with the ball and the rebound or when we're lining up for, for uh, free throws, I'm the one that can come down with the ball because they just don't expect me to box out or they don't expect me to like push, like physically, you know, push them backwards so I can get the ball. And <laughs> usually, you know, it only works a couple of times because then they'll wise up and then you know their height will get the best of me. But for the first few times, I think they're just too shocked and uh, not expecting <laughs> the, the like of me to come out of nowhere. So I'm able to kind of use that to my advantage. I literally relate to this so much. I, People were always shocked to learn that I played varsity basketball through high school. And, like, I, it's partially, yeah, like, you're this Asian girl. You're supposed to be, like, sweet and docile. And basketball is a sport where you have to be tough and aggressive and you have to be strong. And it's a physical sport. And people would be like, what? And I, I do think there's also an aspect of it that is, like, I've always been, like, a girly girl. Like, I, I'm, I embrace the feminine things in life and I loved the duality of like, yeah, I'm going to go to school and wear a cute dress and then I'm going to go change in the locker room and I'm going to come out here and I'm going to like kick ass. <laughs> and like that was, it was so, it's so fun to subvert that. And I totally know what you're talking about, the playing with the expectations because I knew girls would be looking at me being like, okay, yeah. And then I was also on my high school team. I was the person, the boxing out person. I was the person that would just, because you have to, if you're not, like uh, some people can rely on their height for rebounds. And if you can't, you got to use what you got. Mm -hmm. And that is your butt. <laughs> and you got to box out. 
yes (laughs) and you got him really pushed yes and I that was my specialty too that's so funny to hear um but yeah I loved I loved just like being able to be like yeah I'm like strong and I'm tough and that is not mutually exclusive with being like an Asian girl I'm not like oh you're so cute like I hated that stuff um but yeah this is I really do so much right now Molly (laughs) This question has actually made me realize something. Um, And so I grew up doing so many different sports. And the ones that were, you know, more traditionally Asian sports, like Taekwondo and Wushu, um, really had such a different energy from back in my, you know, very white uh, town. I did grow up very close to San Jose, but I was pretty isolated, actually, from the Japanese American community growing up. the energy was so different between how the the two the, the coaches in my sports treated me, and I'm like just realizing, like that there was such a difference mm-hmm. there. Um, granted, I did do the tall person sports in track, like I did hurdles and I did pole vault, and maybe that you know, like I was already a very short person as well as being a very small Asian person, so maybe that factored into like the coaches kind of looked at me and were like, "Okay, you can you can do your thing, but." we're not going to pay much attention to you because we don't think you have a future in this really versus like, you know, in Taekwondo and Wushu, like I was front of the line, like getting to do all this stuff. And like, um, I think the treatment was very, very different um, that I'm just now realizing. That's so, so interesting. Yeah, I would also say like, this kind of is related to what you're saying. Like I, that like looking back, it was so important that I had the spaces where all of my teammates were Asian girls when I was young because then I go to high school and it's all kinds of people. But I know that people like me, like within Sassy, Seattle Asian Sports Club, Sassy, um, there's it's all teams across all age groups. And you can look up to these girls that are older than you and be like, she's like doing amazing and I can be like that. And like it was so important to have those spaces as a young person, the space is like the Budokan, like where you can see yourself because inevitably you're going to end up in other spaces that are not predominantly Asian and you're going to have to know your worth and know that you can be this person that's strong and stuff. It's this community building thing. It's this it's this common language that exists between the generations. It's this way to form these connections and stuff, but it's also like really personal because it's like you are exploring yourself and finding your own strength. At the end of the day, for me, it's empowering. Like as as an Asian American woman, like it was like I don't know. It's like you you it lets you feel powerful and strong. Um, and now, I mean, I didn't. I played intramurals in college, and I haven't played basketball in so long because of COVID. And like, I miss it so much. Like. <laughs> I it was my outlet for like my rage (laughs) like it's so funny that we're having this episode right now during like during this time when we don't get to do what we like to do so Ryan I feel like you have a lot to add as an Asian American in sports and uh Terasaki Budokan as a place for female Asian Americans to thrive as well I think I'll say two pieces and I, I, I would love or I was I was enjoying the dialogue between you three. And I think that <laughs> listening and understanding and um, informing yourself is the first step 
you know, as a, as a male athlete, we go through very different experiences than a female athlete. As an Asian American athlete, you go through different experiences than other, uh, another ethnic athlete. So I think one of the first and most important things that I wanted to do was just listen and understand. So thanks for inviting me into this space, Saji. <laughs> and um, one thing that I, um, I really liked what you said, Yoko, is about representation. And, um, you know, you said you had older girls to look up to. And um, I think that that's something that we need more of uh, mm-hmm. for young women who are thinking about trying out for their varsity basketball team. Maybe they haven't had anybody who's Asian American um, that they can look up to at that school. But maybe after hearing this podcast or after seeing more people like you um, on social media that look like them, um, maybe they have that confidence to explore that space and say, hey, I'm just as worthy as somebody who who may not look like me. So I think that's really important. And that's not just in sport and athletics, but that's in film, TV, music, um, you know, all, across all spaces. I think we need to increase representation for communities of color. And, um, you know, the API community is just one of those many communities that needs more representation. Going back, tying it all back to Budokan, you know, one of our really big goals is to increase the visibility of women's sports. So, um, you know, we just had a really big meeting, um, a meeting that I was really excited about with the LA Sparks. Um, you know, I think that engaging with the NBA or, or the WNBA, those are important um, ways to get our youth involved, um, you know, with um, the career, a career in athletics and sports. And so, I was really, really excited to connect with the Sparks because of what they're doing in their Junior Sparks program. Um, We're hoping to have their media day here and maybe we can get some exposure for our young women to see that, hey, you know, you can make a career out of playing sports professionally as well. But not just playing, coaching. I mentioned Nakase, um, Becky Hammond, who is coaching the assistant coach of the Spurs. I think she was the first female, one of the first female coaches. Um, But I can see her, you know, being a role model for women who want to go into coaching. Um, and I think that that's so important for that to be ex- that exposure to take place at a young age. You know, at, at our age, I think I don't want to say it's too late, but maybe we've already chosen a career. We've chosen a path and it's tough to switch and change and jump around. And but for a young woman or for a young man to see that um, that they can do that, I think that's really important. Yes. And OK, this is that is such a great note to end on. I loved how we brought it back to the classic thing that every athlete says, which is that sports is like a microcosm for life and all of these things about (laughs) representation and empowerment and, you know, feeling that community connection that can be applied to like everything. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, love that. Uh, Thank you to Ryan. Thank you, Melanie. And congrats, Sachi, on finishing your first episode. Thank you all so much for being here. Woohoo! Thanks, guys. Thank you for having us. This was so fun. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And keep up the great work. To catch up on past episodes, you can find the Yonsei podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and the Japanese American Memorial Pilgrimages website. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Nikkei Rising for updates on the Yonsei and other programs from Nikkei Rising. The Yonsei Podcast is made by Hiro Edeza, Michelle Hecker, Yoko Fedorenko, Johnny Narita, Matthew Wisely, and Sachi Koidi, with theme music by Michelle Hecker.